Taiwan issued a national air raid alert on Tuesday after China launched a satellite over its southwest airspace. The emergency alert was sent by the Defense Ministry to mobile phone users just after 3 p.m. According to Chinese state media, the satellite was, quote, the Einstein probe, a small satellite dedicated to astrophysics and astronomy. In southern Taiwan, President Tsai Ing-wen was campaigning to a crowd when the alert sounded. After reading the mobile alert, Tsai was quick to reassure the public. No worries, the president is here. Whatever happens, the president will go through it with you. The thing about a democratic society is that it's open and transparent and the public knows everything. So just be informed and keep an eye out. The government will take care of the rest. The last time a missile flew over, a national alert was not issued. This time they've issued one and the alert said it was a satellite. But then they said maybe it wasn't a satellite? What exactly are the criteria for issuing national alerts? Since 1996, China has played the role of a terrible co-worker. That's the strange thing about China. But of course, we can't come out and tell them not to launch satellites during this period. In consideration of the people's right to be informed, the Defense Ministry issued a public notification about China's satellite launch. On the one hand, it wanted everyone to stay calm. On the other, it wanted everyone to be on the alert. If any debris from the satellite is found, it can be turned over to the Defense Ministry or rather relevant units. By issuing the alert, it informed the public and prevented any misunderstandings. Later in the day, the Defense Ministry acknowledged an English translation error in its air raid alert. Instead of using the word satellite, the English message said, quote, Missile fly over Taiwan airspace. Be aware. The ministry apologized for the mistake. Ahead of Election Day, China has announced two days of live-fire drills in the East China Sea. Taiwan's Defense Ministry says it's closely tracking all PLA activities and is ready to respond to any threat. Since January 1st, China has also been ramping up its gray zone warfare against Taiwan, sending a surge of balloons across the strait. According to the Defense Ministry, high-altitude balloons from China have been detected near Taiwan almost every day since January 1st. The balloons come at a sensitive time ahead of the January 13th elections. As for the time frame of detection, these floating balloons were spotted in recent days. We've been able to detect all of them. After analyzing their patterns and paths, we've determined that the balloons are being deployed as a gray zone tactic against us. The Defense Ministry said the balloons were aimed at intimidation. It said it had full control of the situation and was ready to respond to any contingency. The CCP's use of air balloons for intimidation is being fully monitored by our military. We will respond appropriately depending on the threat's severity. We will not destroy the balloons as they appear. Doing so could play into China's asymmetric warfare tactics as it would affect our combat readiness and deplete our military resources. If a balloon poses a severe threat to the ground, we'll take very proactive countermeasures. 
With gray zone warfare ongoing, China has also launched military drills. The Maritime Safety Administration has announced live fire exercises in the East China Sea from January 8th to 9th. Although the location is some distance away, Taiwan's defense ministry is on high alert. The CCP is conducting training in the East China Sea and has established no-fly zones. The defense ministry is fully monitoring all of China's activities. Through joint intelligence, surveillance and reconnaissance, we are assessing the potential impact. With just a few days left till the vote, Beijing's every move is being closely watched by Taiwan. The DPP's Lai Qingdai and his running mate Xiaobi Kim made a joint appearance on Tuesday at an international press conference. The event drew 217 journalists from 128 media outlets representing 28 countries. The issue of cross-strait relations took center stage. Lai reiterated that Taiwan was already a sovereign and independent country and did not need to otherwise declare its independence. He vowed to continue Taiwan's cross-strait policies. Lai also criticized former KMT President Ma Ying-jeou for saying that Taiwan would never win a war against China. Let us welcome up. With just four days till election day, DPP presidential contender Lai Qingde and his running mate Xiaobi Kim held an international press conference. They faced sharp questions from 217 journalists representing 28 countries. The two largest contingents were from the US and Japan. Cross-strait issues took center stage. Peace is the only option. Our door will always be open to engagement with Beijing on the principles of equality and dignity. Taiwan is already an independent sovereign nation, so there is no need to declare independence. I hope that China can see the changes in international trends and play a role in maintaining peace and stability in the Indo-Pacific region. Lai reiterated that Taiwan was already an independent country. He urged Beijing to recognize that maintaining peace and stability in the Indo-Pacific region was the responsibility of both sides of the strait. Lai was asked whether the PLA's recent live-fire drills in the East China Sea were an attempt to interfere in Taiwan's elections. China tries to interfere in every Taiwan election, but this time its interference has been the most severe. If I am elected president, I would give China the opportunity to reassess its policy toward Taiwan. Lai said that if the opposition party wins, China would not be inclined to change its current strategy of threats and intervention. A German reporter brought up former President Ma Ying-jeou, who said that no matter what Taiwan does, it won't be able to win in a war against China. The remark sparked a strong reaction from Lai. He said, no matter how much you defend yourself, you can never fight a war with the mainland. You can never win. He accepted the 1992 consensus and deprioritized national defense and security, allowing our national security capabilities to atrophy. The pursuit of peace relies on our own strength, not on the goodwill of aggressors, as we can see in Tibet, Xinjiang and Hong Kong. After the event, reporters weighed in on how the candidates did. I think the performance was uh, was very calm and very uh, easy, much more relaxed, I would say, than your local uh, election rally. Uh, but yeah, they did a good, pretty good job. Actually, I believe that President Lai's uh, election campaign uh, will be successful, uh, as he highlighted all the main issues of interest of uh, Taiwanese people. A Russian reporter said he'd landed on Monday and immediately felt Taiwan's fervor for its elections.
Taipei, in Taipei, for example, uh, walking on the streets uh, today in the morning, I saw uh, different people uh, uh, talking uh, about uh, their preferred candidates. Too many people there, uh, all um, uh, very amused with, with this. When Japanese people come to Taiwan, they are very surprised. They think the elections are bustling with activity like a festival. In Japan, the elections are very calm and voter turnout is low. They find that Taiwan's enthusiasm for politics is very different from Japan's. As January 13th draws near, Taiwan is capturing global attention with both its election and its thriving election culture. Capital punishment is grabbing the spotlights in the week before Election Day. TPP contender Koenja said Monday that if he wins, he will either enforce the death penalty as prescribed by law or amend the law to abolish it. The following day, the KMT's Ho Yoi spoke out against abolishing the death penalty. He accused the DPP's Lai Jingde of not making his position clear to avoid alienating any voters. Ho said that the DPP's party charter explicitly calls for abolishing the death penalty. Lai fired back, saying that Ho himself did not mention the death penalty in his official campaign platform. Lai said that the candidates should, quote, go back to discussing major national policies. Students and academics at National Elan University are celebrating the first sighting of a leopard cat in the county in 30 years. A leopard cat was caught on a night camera set by National Elan University Experimental Forestry Station. Leopard cats were common in the region in the early 20th century, until extensive hunting led to a collapse of the local population. Now, experts say a return of the big cat to the north of Taiwan could be a blessing for the whole ecological system. An infrared camera placed in the wild caught these images of a big cat's rear and tail. A few minutes later, the special visitor let the camera catch its face. It was a leopard cat, a protected species native to Taiwan. More exciting was the fact that it was spotted at an experimental forestry station near Dajiao River in the mountains of Ilan. We don't know how long it was living at the experimental station or whether it's originally from Ilan or came here from Yaoli or Taichung. She sent me the photos and asked me if it was a wild cat or a leopard cat. I thought, how could it be a leopard cat here in Ilan? It must be a wild cat. But when I looked at the photos, it became more and more obvious. No, it is a leopard cat. The cat's appearance in Ilan was a surprise for these National Ilan University students conducting a field survey. We have had a discovery like this in Ilan before, but not for the last 30 years. Leopard cats were common throughout Taiwan's low-altitude mountains during the Japanese colonial era. They were hunted intensively throughout central Taiwan, in Ilan and Taidong, among other places, leading to a precipitous collapse of the population. The chickens all rush to hide in a tree, afraid of the leopard cat. Scenes like this can be seen in Miaoli. Most remaining leopard cat individuals live in Taichung, Nanto, and Miaoli. It's been 30 years since traces of this big cat were last seen in Ilan. Naturalists are very excited. 
we're starting to see it reappear. The significance of that is that, to some degree, the appearance of an apex predator in the northern mountain regions could support the integrity of the ecological system, or what we call the ecological chain. Meanwhile, students are watching out for another sighting of this individual, hoping for clues about where it was born and whether it has migrated to Elan or is a native. The CES trade show in Las Vegas has kicked off with the world's biggest names in tech. Representing Taiwan are top brands like Acer, Asus and AU Optronics. About 100 Taiwanese startups are also in Vegas to showcase trailblazing innovations. Gaming wearables, smart medical solutions and robots. The future is here at CES and Taiwan's tech brands are a bright spot. Today, this revolution extends beyond gaming. Artistic pursuits are more accessible than ever with modern AI tools. Programmers and professionals use AI in their daily work. Asus has launched a Republic of Gamers line with AI capabilities. Acer has a laptop with a 15.6-inch stereoscopic 3D display to cater to the needs of 3D model designers. At the end of last year, Intel unveiled its core ultra processors, which are packed with the computational power needed for AI applications. Its Taiwanese clients include Asus, Acer, MicroStar International and Gigabyte Technology. Over in automotives, panel maker AU Optronics is making its CES debut with its smart MiCar system. The dashboard is a curved pillar-to-pillar -pillar panel that displays driving stats. Taiwan's MIH consortium is also at CES, exhibiting Project X, its three-seater concept car. We want to attract the world's top brands to Taiwan for collaboration. We want to bring back more investment. This year, the National Science and Technology Council and Economics Ministry led some 100 Taiwanese startups to Las Vegas. The startups work in fields like AI, robotics, digital healthcare, and charging technology. Officials aim to showcase Taiwan's technological prowess and capture even greater business opportunities. Snow pellets fell over Hehuanshan on Tuesday as a band of moisture from southern China moved in. Hikers were thrilled by the wintry mountain landscape. Starting Wednesday, a cold front is set to send temperatures even lower, below 10 degrees in the north and east. Huanshan is shrouded in white. Snow pellets fell Tuesday to cover the roads, creating a dreamy landscape. We'd originally planned to hike up Hehuan North Peak, but it started snowing, so we decided to play with the snow instead. On a whim, I decided to come up the mountain to Uling. Seeing the snow was a very nice surprise. We feel very lucky. For these visitors, the snow pellets were just as exciting as snow. Atmospheric moisture rose sharply on Tuesday as a weather system from China moved in. But drier skies are expected starting Wednesday due to an incoming cold front. From Wednesday to Thursday, temperatures will drop island-wide under the influence of a continental cold air front, which could range from moderate to severe. We'll see a sharp drop after Wednesday at noon. On Thursday, especially in the north, northeast, Jinmen, Mazu and the east, the weather will be chilly. In the north and east, the mercury could fall below 10 degrees Celsius. Other parts of the island could see lows between 13 and 15 degrees. On Saturday, temps are set to gradually rise, potentially improving turnout on election day.
Today, we take you to meet a brand of red bean wheel cake founded in 1999. The establishment's second generation, Chen Liyu, is now running the store, thinking of new ways to reinvent the wheel cake. They recently unveiled a new product, a frozen treat that is a cross between a souffle and a dorayaki. FTV reporter Stephanie Yang spoke to the family to learn more about the family business and the transitions they are making. A worker carefully fills each wheel cake with different flavors such as matcha, red bean and chocolate, as well as mochi. The only liquid in the batter is milk. Not a drip of water is added to give the treats a cakey texture. This is a Taiwanese wheel cake store that has been operating since 1999. The unique taste of the red bean wheel cakes helped shop owner Chen Wenfa pay back tens of millions of dollars of debt. I was originally in the motorcycle parts business. Later, due to a failed investment, I lost a lot of money. So I decided to improve traditional snacks from scratch. At that time, I saw that all the places that sold red bean wheel cakes were stalls on the side of the road. They were not hygienic, and the ingredients weren't stored in ideal conditions. That's why I started by improving red bean wheel cakes. I had to start from scratch. So, I found a factory to work with to provide me with ready-made stuffing to make the cakes. Many people helped me along the way. My first target demographic was middle-class office workers. The bag is breathable and doesn't get wet, so buyers can take the cakes to eat elsewhere. The taste also goes beyond traditional red bean cakes. We developed new flavors. After enduring all these hardships in our lives, our philosophy now is to use the best ingredients to make the best products. That way, our loyal customers will try out our newest products. That is our business philosophy. Now the family business has been mostly passed down to their daughter, Chen Li Yu, formerly a laboratory scientist at a hospital. As an only child, she couldn't bear to see her parents work so hard, so she decided to help out with the business and think of new innovative products and flavors that younger people would love. I used to be a med lab scientist, but then during the pandemic, business declined. My parents had worked so very hard and my dad had been sick for three years by then, so I wanted to come back to help out and take us on a new path. Besides cooking the pastries, I tried to come up with ways to reinvent wheel cakes. Over the past two years, all we thought about was how to make a breakthrough. Their new product is a mix between a souffle and a dorayaki. It comes in a variety of flavors such as matcha red bean, vanilla cream, peach and rum cheese. They also added a twist to the product by filling wheel cakes with Hokkaido Yotsuba and serving them frozen. It's not like a dorayaki or a souffle, it's like a combination of the two. Many people like the filling of our original red bean cakes, so the matcha red bean, rum cheese and vanilla cream flavor are all made from the fillings of our red bean cakes. Red bean cakes are usually served hot. I wanted to turn it into a cold treat and improve the crust. It's still soft when frozen, like a souffle. The filling is Hokkaido Yotsuba whipped cream, which makes it taste great. If you eat it frozen, it's kind of like ice cream. If you leave it in the fridge, it becomes more like a mousse. We've operated our brand for so many years now, and we've got recognition from our consumers. This year, we have launched new products that people can buy to gift or to take home as souvenirs. Before, our wheel cakes were all served hot, but now we have frozen ones that can be delivered to people's homes. The research and development process was actually very hard. 
We tested everything for more than a year to try to get the best taste. They are all made with the very best ingredients. The family has worked together to allow the store to thrive in the fiercely competitive business district for more than 20 years. In the future, the family hopes to create more innovative products and open a branch serving afternoon tea with their desserts and drinks. FTV reporter Stephanie Yang and Yang Kai in Taipei. A glut of cabbages has led to a huge collapse of the price, causing a crisis for farmers. Officials were warning in the last quarter of 2023 that too many cabbages were being grown, and now those cabbages are being harvested, and the price has reached an average low of just 8 NT a kilogram. But cabbage farmers are finding creative ways to recoup some of their losses. They're inviting the public to come and pick their own cabbages from the fields. That helps cut the costs involved with shipping veggies to market. A whole family has come down to this cabbage field, wielding sickles to harvest the crop. It's fun for all the family. The tourists get to try out the joy of harvesting. More importantly, they can take home the cabbages for just 100 NT for seven. Some people come with bags and take home dozens. Others fill up the whole trunk of their car with the vegetables. The farmers say that now they've hit the peak cabbage harvest season. They're making a loss on each cabbage sold to a market. Much better is to run a pick-your-own scheme like this. You have to pay for labor, boxes and shipping. So we posted on Facebook to say we're selling them here ourselves. We get less than 2 NT at the end of those 100 NT. But in the end, it's helping us reduce our losses. We'd be even worse off if we sold them to retailers. When the price is good, you get more than 200 NT for half a cabbage. Now it's 100 NT for seven. The farmers are smiling, but they're crying inside. These farmers are selling cabbages from a van on the road. One cabbage is 20 NT and three are 50 NT. They say these sales can at least offset the cost of some of the seedlings and fertilizer. It doesn't pay to ship them to the north. One kilo only sells for a few dollars. From September to early December 2023, concerning volumes of cabbages were planted. After growing for two months, now they're being harvested. Supply vastly outstrips demand. These farmers are taking the matter into their own hands to reduce their losses.